Welcome back to Random Book Club Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Van. With me is Donovan McMullen here for Chapter 4. Don, how you doing, bro? I am doing great. It's great to have you back. How are you? I'm doing wonderful as well. Um, before we get into Chapter 4, we're not going to... We're not going to give up on Chapter 3 just yet because I wanted to read some comments from our last week's video. So let me pull that thing up here. Pull up the old Microsoft Edge ever since we got the upgrade, right? Top comments. You guys suck. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Thanks, Tim and Georgia. All right. So from Chapter 3, we got some comments. Uh, We got uh, one from a guy named J.L., and we're going to show the spoilers. This is a spoiler. He, he's got a comment about, I wish they had made Renfrey's death in the TV show like in the books, where she says, hold me to Geralt, and then dies as a concealed knife slips out of her hand. The moment was a highlight for me in the book. So, yeah, yeah that was really cool in the book. Yeah. I, I haven't seen the show, but obviously they don't do that. But when she dies, she straight up was like, hold me, and she was going to kill Geralt. You know what I mean? Well, see, here's here's the problem is that all the TV shows, they because people if you're already watching something, you're probably considered more dumb or shorter attention span. And it's not like supposed to be a knock than somebody who's taking the time to read the book. Right. So they need to do what sells. And then they also need to, like, keep each character intact. So, like, if they're like, oh, you know what? It'll be more sad if she's a good guy as she's dying. She isn't a yeah. monster. Like, yeah, ha ha ha. She isn't a monster after all. And she's dying. And it'd be more sad. And we'll, that'll be a better episode that way than, Oh, okay. She is a monster. But yeah, I totally agree with him. Is like, I want to see it. I want to see it. Whereas like, yeah, girl was right actually. But, but then the show would be like does. 18 episodes. You know what I mean? Like if you I add know, every little like, piece, it's hard. I get it. I get it, but I don't think it's like they got rid of it due to time. I think they got rid of it due to a different character they're trying to paint. True. You know, and that's and what that does is it changes the painting. But if you're if you're talking about like a, a book is a painting, then you know a movie's much much more. It's it's no longer that. You're no longer using paint, so what you're changing wouldn't really matter. Good point, man. Uh, next one comes from a friend of the show, Iggy. He's written in a couple times. Uh, let's see what he's got here. Okay, he's so last week we asked if the new format was going to be good for you guys and if you liked it being a little bit quicker, doing a whole chapter rather than all the individual parts now that we kind of got the characters done. Iggy says, I agree with the new format. Now that we have introduced Geralt, the stories and other characters should take precedence. I agree, Iggy. He, can, he continues by saying, I feel like Geralt's supposed massacre was justified. Indeed, Stregobor is, together with Eridea, Aridia, which is uh, the stepmom of Renfri, responsible for the hell that Renfri went through, and some sort of indirect punishment would have been great to witness, but the gang in itself were sought-out criminals in the first place. Was he to let them go town by town, threatening to kill civilians, to rob them? Was Renfri to be let free, to only return to Stregobor years later with an even bigger gang? Other... Others may argue that he should have maintained his neutral stance, not choosing between two evils. However, the act of staying neutral is a choice by default, which is evil to a certain degree, too. So I um, I liked that viewpoint of like, yeah. 100%. 100% I agree. Yeah. 
uh, he he continues on about Renfrey. I don't think Renfrey well, had. I'll make a side note real quick. Yeah. Is a hero still a hero if they don't make a decision? Because I feel like a hero that makes a decision and it's wrong, and understands that it's wrong, is a much more in-depth, impressive hero, right? I mean, we can see that all over Marvel, right? right? All over uh, any name you name a superhero. And he's going to be like, okay, perfect example, Spider-Man, spoiler alert, anyone that's never heard of Spider-Man, Uncle Ben, right? The whole idea is that he lets the burglar go, and that's the burglar that carjacks Uncle Ben and kills him. And that's a decision he made that was wrong, but that also is exactly what makes his entire character. Is from that point on, he realizes that he has a higher responsibility than just not making a choice, which is also making a choice. So, like... I, I actually agree with that 100% that Geralt actually had to make a choice because if he didn't, is he, it, can he be considered a hero at this point at all? Yeah. Um, yeah, I like how Geralt goes. He'll kill, he'll kill people. He'll kill people. He goes by his own code. Yeah. Um, one of the last things that he has to say uh, is um, I don't think that Renfrey had any magical powers. This is when we were discussing, like, did she have magic powers? And then, like, why did Stregobor want to check her out and whatever? Stregobor mentioned that Renfrey was resistant to magic due to her curse, but there is no evidence to back this claim other than the mage's word, which, as we found out, is clearly worth less than a cow's dung. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) On the other hand, Renfrey could have had some sort of magical amulet or trinket. We just don't know, and we never will. Because she's dead. Thanks. Thanks. she's done. Um, Is she, though? What if she was magic? Yeah. Uh, no, she's dead. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Then she's dead for sure. We are now in Chapter 4, uh, which is called A Question of Price. But um, we're going to start with The Voice of Reason. So, summary of The Voice of Reason for Chapter 4. The Voice of Reason. Geralt sits with a silent, uh, with the silent Eola in the gardens of the temple, Temple Melitola. Geralt tells her about witchers, how they came to be, about Kaer Morhen and Vesemir, about destiny and how he should have uh, stuck his spoon in, should not have stuck his spoon into that soup, cueing a short story called A Question of Price. That's just the quick summary there. But there was um, some parts from there that I wanted to go into deeper because Geralt's actually talking about the witchers now. We're going to learn a little bit about where witchers come from and that kind of thing. So here's from the book. I need to talk to you, Iola. Let's sit down for a moment. You don't know me at all, do you? I'm called Geralt. Geralt of... No, only Geralt. Geralt of nowhere. I'm a witcher. My home is Kaer Morhen. Witcher Settlement. Uh, it's... It's... It was... A fortress. <laughs> Not much remains it of was. it. It was... So he's like, it's kind of this like free flowing conversation between him and Rayola. And he's just like, I need to do the whole thing. He's saying, I need to do this. I need to tell somebody about this right now. And he's connecting with Yola, which is kind of cool. And let's bring up the map right quick. So I can show you guys where care, uh, care Morhen is. It's in the, we got, if you pull up the Witcher's map in the um, Northeastern corner up in the, in the blue mountains, there's a little fortress called Kaer Morhen, and this is what we're going to learn about. Kaer Morhen, that's where the likes of me were produced. It's not done anymore. No one lives in Kaer Morhen now. No one but Vesemir. Who's Vesemir? My father. Why are you so surprised? What's so strange about it? 
everyone's got a father, and mine is Vesemir. And so what if he's not my real father? I, don't, I didn't know him or my mother. I don't even know if they're still alive. And I don't much care. That's really cool. So we learn about this guy named Vesemir. Do you know anything about Vesemir, Don? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, in the video games, he's around. Basically, he's one of the ones that helps train. Uh, God, what is her name? I, th- I want to say Siri. I don't remember anymore. Yeah. Um, but he's one of the people that trains her into a Witcher. Oh, cool. And so, like, he's still around in that point too in the third game. But again, I don't know how closely the games are. If the games are canon, I don't think they are. Right. But uh, the games are very. I would say the games are closer to being canon than probably the show, even though the show is very close with their own, like with tweaks. It's it's the same story with tweaks, I guess I would say. So the game probably has all the content wise, but I think they just make up their own storyline, if that makes sense. Yeah. So he goes on, he continues about Kaer Morhen. Yes, Kaer Morhen. I underwent the, un, or I underwent the usual mutation there, though the trial of grasses, or through the trial of grasses, and then hormones, herbs, viral infections, and then through them all again and again to the bitter end. Apparently, I took the changes unusually well. I was only ill briefly. I was considered to be an exceptional, exceptionally resilient brat and was chosen for more complicated experiments as a result. They were worse, much worse. But as you see, I survived. The only one to live out of all those chosen for the further trials. My hair has been white ever since. Total loss of pigmentation, a side effect, as they say. So he's the only witcher with white hair then. He's the only witcher with white hair. And the reason is... Yep. So what does that mean? So what is it? Okay, so if anybody knows what powers he... Because I I know it doesn't tell you in the book what powers he gets over somebody that hasn't gone through the harder trials. But if somebody knows that answer, let me know. So it's not powers at all. It's just white. All it is is white hair. That's it. That's all he gets. Well, he says he went through the trial of grasses and passed it flying colors. You know what I mean? So then they yeah, took dude. him on to the, the more dangerous stuff. And out of all the people that they tried to do that to, he's the only one who lived. So that's kind of cool. They made him fight a tiger and shit. That was like the harder stuff. Yep. They're like, all right. He's like six years old fighting a tiger. You can do it, girl. He's like, like oh, why is okay. my hair white? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Then they taught me various things until the day I left Care Morhen and took to the road. I'd earned my medallion, the sign of the wolf's school. I had two swords, silver and iron, and my conviction, enthusiasm, incentive, and faith. Faith that I was needed or faith that was needed in a world full of monsters and beasts to protect the innocent. As I left Care Morhen, I dreamed of meeting my first monster. I couldn't wait stand, to stand eye to eye with him, and the moment arrived. My first monster, Eola, was a bald or was bald and had exceptionally rotten teeth. I came across him on the highway where, with some of his fellow monsters, deserters, had stopped a peasant's cart and pulled out a little girl, maybe 13 years old. His companions held her father while the bald man tore off her dress, yelling it was time for her to meet a real man. I rode up and said that the time had come for him too. I thought I was very witty. The bald monster released the girl. (laughs) The bald monster released the girl and threw himself at me with an axe. He was slow but tough. I hit him twice. Not clean cuts, but spectacular. And then did he fall. His gang ran away when they saw what a witcher's sword could do to a man. And so through that whole little introduction, 
he's so excited about meeting his first monster and of course it's people I think that's kind of deep bruh yeah yeah I like that so he was just like chow pow pow he just wanted to kill time has come for you too I thought I was very witty I love that and then he goes am I boring you Iola I need this. I really need do need this. Is Iola the one that can't talk? Yes, Iola is the silent priestess, the yeah. one that is, yeah. has a great connection with Melidola herself, so that she can do the the special seance or whatever with Geralt. No, so he, no he, yeah. he continues by saying, "Where was I? My first noble deed. You see, they told me again and again in Kaer Morhen not to get involved with such in- incidents, not to play at being a knight errant or uphold the law, not to show off, but to work for money." And I joined this fight like an idiot, not 50 miles from the mountains. And do you know why? I wanted the girl, sobbing with gratitude, to kiss her savior on the hands and her father to thank me on his knees. In reality, her father fled with his attackers, and the girl, drenched in the bald man's blood, threw up, became hysterical, and fainted in fear when I approached her. Since then, I've only very very rarely interfered in such matters. I did my job. I quickly learned how... I'd ride up to a village enclosure or town pickets and wait. If they spat, cursed, and threw stones, I rode away. If someone came out to give me a commission, I'd carry it out. So, that is... Hard life. It's a hard knock life for our boy, um, Geralt. And he learned it the hard way. And and he goes on and continues about saying that's when he made he decided to make his own, um, his own rules. You know, his own Witcher code. And he, you know, the guys that taught him in, in Kaer Morhen were right. Don't get involved with night shit. Don't try to uphold the law. Just do your <laughs> job because people are cray. So that brings us to um, a question of price, chapter four. So where are we in the continent today? Uh, we're still on the map. And if you zoom out, if we're, if we're looking for a place called Sintra. Sintra was once located uh, or was once the location of an ancient elven settlement which upon the great eastern expansion, humans approximately 500 years ago, um, was abandoned by the elves, and in its place, humans built a city. So if we zoom in to the, it's the middle of the map on the western coast of the Northern Sea, we see this little castle here, Sintra, and that's where this story is located. So we start off with a banger, dude. Um, Here's how the chapter begins. Yes. Finally. The Witcher had a knife at his throat. He was wallowing in the wooden tub, brimful of soap suds, his head thrown back against the slippery rim. The bitter taste of soap lingered in his mouth as a knife, blunt as a doorknob, scraped his Adam's apple painfully and moved toward his chin with a grating sound. The barber, with the expression of an artist who is conscious that he is creating a masterpiece, scraped once more from... Uh, form's sake, then wiped the witcher's face with a piece of linen soaked in tincture of Angelica. Geralt stood up, allowed a servant to pour a bucket of water over him, shook himself, and climbed from the tub, leaving wet footmarks on the brick floor. Your towels, sir. The servant glanced curiously at his medallion. So, they started off with being like, the witcher had a knife at his throat, dude. Yeah, but I never thought, I mean... Even when I was reading it, I was like, all right, what's yeah. going on? And then I'm like, he's in a bathtub, and I'm like, like all he, right. He's getting drunk I was thinking in the bath. It was chick, and then I realized it was, yeah, it was just a barber. It's just a barber. So I feel like I feel like it was just going to be foreplay with him. Oh, like, yeah. oh 
Like I wasn't even worried the first time I read it. I like I was like, holy crap, we're getting right into it. And then uh, of course the it's barber. The bathtub. Yeah. So the story begins with Geralt being clean shaven, washed and nicely clothed by the servants in Castellan Haxo of the royal family's castle in Sintra. Sintra's crown princess, Pavetta, has turned fifteen years old, and, as is custom, contenders for her hand have turned up by the dozen. Geralt asks the Castellan, Haxo, why he has in, why he has invited or why he is invited and is told that the queen very much wants to ensure that Sintra becomes allied with uh, Skellige, Skellige and that a witcher's services are likely yeah, required to ensure this outcome. So it's a birthday party. It's a little birthday party for little Pavetta and she's got to get married. But the queen wants to make sure that she is married to the right family, which is Skellige or Skellige, whatever. So Geralt, who is officially invited to the party as the Honorable Lord Ravix of Fourhorn. So he takes on a whole nother personality here. Like he's just pretending to be <laughs> someone else. Sits next to Queen Calanthe, yet has still not been told the, what exact reason is for his invitation. During dinner, he has a long discussion with the queen about how she and other rulers see witchers, what she thinks of their profession and what it is, and whether or not she has invited him for the right reasons. In fact, the queen spends so much time conversing with the witcher that she begins to annoy one of her guests, Iced Terseach. Uh, Geralt also notices that Mouse Sack is quite is quite interested yeah. in the conversation. Mousesack is a druid, dude. So we actually get to see a druid, which is pretty cool. So now, now in the show, I'm pretty sure they call Mousesack too. Yeah. But every time I was reading this, I was like, Musake. Musake. Why not? Yeah. Or Musak. Well, it just, it's just, no. I couldn't do it. I couldn't call it Mousesack. Yeah, I know. Mousesack sounds kind of whatever, but that's what it so is. So before we get into the whole story here, uh, I do want to say, I, I want to say something real quick, is that I enjoyed this very much on Netflix. I think they pretty much nailed awesome. most of this story. But I th- think we've talked about this before, we'll talk about it again, is a few key things that they changed yeah. that kind of changes the whole story just by changing two or three things. Well, I'm excited to watch it on Netflix then because this is my favorite story. The Last Wish is, in this story, your favorite story of the short yeah. stories. Yeah, yeah, For, For me, sure this was. one was my favorite one. This is the one that after we were done, I called you and was like, holy shit, holy shit. So it's a, it's a good one. So here's, a, here's some um, parts from the book uh, kind of going into what the queen, what Calanthe was talking to the Witcher about. And what the Witcher was talking to Calanthe about, basically being like, why did you invite me here? Let's make sure you're not doing it for the wrong reasons. So this is what the Witcher Geralt is saying to her while they're at the dinner table. Your Majesty, I don't doubt that a marriage alliance between Skellige is necessary for Sintra. Oh, I don't doubt that it is necessary for Sintra. It's possible, too, that the schemers who want to prevent it deserve such a lesson, using means which don't involve you. It's convenient if this lesson were to be given by an unknown lord from Fourhorn, he's talking about himself, who would then disappear from the scene. So, like, he's saying, I get what you're trying to do here. And so then, and now I'll answer your question. You mistake my trade for that of a hired killer. He's like, I'm not here to kill people. Those others, of whom there are so many, are rulers. 
It's not the first time I've been called to a court where the problems demand the quick solution of a sword. But I've never killed people for money, regardless of whether it's for a good or bad cause, and I never will. So he checks her, and he's like, hey, I get it. You're telling me all this information. You want to make sure you're going with the Skaligis, but I'm not going to kill anybody. I don't ever take money to do that. Isn't it interesting that he's killed human beings, but he says he's never killed anybody for money? For money. For and, money, yes. Right, right, right. And that's, but also like, that also tells you that he no longer sees them as human beings. Right. It's like a rent-free thing, like, and it must be that he sees them only as monsters. Right. The The fact that he's saying um, that he never kills people for money, it's almost like he's setting himself aside from that, you know? Uh-huh. Um, and then further on, they have some more dialogue. The queen's all like kind of taken by him on how eloquent he is, despite his profession. So Witcher continues. As for you, um, oh, no, this is what the queen Calanthe is saying to Geralt. As for you, you have a choice. You can be forced to act by my command. I don't wish to dwell on the consequences of disobedience, although obedience will be generously rewarded. Or you can render me a paid service. Note that I did not say I can buy you because I've decided not to offend your witcher's pride. There's a huge difference, isn't there? And then Geralt says, the magnitude of this difference has somehow escaped my notice. Like, uh, what are you saying? Like, you're going to pay me to kill someone anyway, so how's that different? And then she says, then pay greater attention. The difference, my dear witcher, is that one who is bought is paid according to the buyer's whim. Whereas one who renders a service sets his own price. Is that clear? He's, she's saying. It was very smart. That was very smart of her. Because I was like, how is she going to get out of this? And when she said that in the book, I was yep. like, well, play. this queen is Calanthe. very smart. Calanthe. I like her. I mean, she's ruthless. And I told you in the last episode, I hate the political garbage. And when I learned that it was going to be about a daughter's hand in marriage, I was like, oh, shit, this is going to be a bad chapter. But And then it's your favorite. It's it's my favorite favorite one. And she is a big part of that because she knows what witchers do. And she knows that in this situation, she needs it. You know, and she's not talking down to him. She's saying, I can make you do this. And if you don't obey me, I can do what all rulers do. But I'm not asking you to do that. I'm saying you render me a service, name your price. And he's like, all of a sudden dollar signs are in Geralt's eyes. He's like, okay, <laughs> it won't be cheap. So other than... Kings and queens. <laughs> yeah. Um, so otherwise, the banquet proceeds much as expected with uh, much general merriment. Kakudak. Okay, is Kakudak in the show? Uh, the guy who makes animal uh, noises? Yes, I oh, think so. He's awesome. Kakudak amuses the guests with his wide repertoire of animal impressions. The younger Skelligers discuss military strategy, and the music begins uh, being supplied by uh, Dragadar and Drag Bondua. Eventually, Pavetta makes her appearance, but is but is unusually quiet and reserved, barely looking up. She is clearly pleasing to the gathering and potential suitors. Uh, to the gathering of potential suitors. Suddenly, there is a commotion outside the throne room, and an uninvited guest is announced. The gathering hears the clanging of armored footsteps approach, and finally, a spiked helmed knight who introduces himself as Urchion of Erlenwald appears. 
The queen insists that he remove his helmet, but Urchion explains that he cannot do so before midnight due to a knight's vow. Calanthe rather reluctantly allows him to keep his helmet on and grants him leave to speak. She's not happy that he's here. And she wants him to take that helmet off, but he he's... Who he is. She, Geralt she knows, knows who he is. Geralt, they all know who he is. Geralt knows who he is? I didn't not get the impression that he knew. No, 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 no. Once, once he shows up, the queen and Geralt both understand oh, yeah. that that's the, that's guy the guy that they're both there for. Yeah, she gives yeah. him some looks. Like, Calanthe's yeah, giving him... He goes like, and uh, this is what I'm hired for. Is this guy coming in saying he can't take his helmet off? Like that's yeah. Yeah, and during this whole time, Malsak is on the table, is sitting at his table, like looking at Geralt, looking at Pavetta, looking at Geralt, and then like he plays with his crumbs of bread, uh -huh. and then it messes with the crumbs on Geralt's plate, saying like, "Dude, yep. pay attention." Like they're talking to each other, so it's like, "Oh, cool, this right. is one of Geralt's friends." Like they introduce him as the Druid. And you're like, oh, cool, it's just a druid, so like maybe this is the guy that Geralt's got to fight. But then once they're talking to each other and Geralt's like cool with it, it's like, oh, they know each other. Like Geralt's worked with this guy before. I like that. I like that. Yeah, yeah he ends up. He is a pretty cool character in so, the show. After Calanthe um, gives Urchion leave to speak with his helmet on, he then proceeds to explain that he has come to collect the promised reward for saving King Rogner's uh, life. By the law of surprise, Princess Pavetta has belonged to him from the day of her birth. Oh, shit. What is the law of surprise? Well. Surprise. I just made up a law. <laughs> the law of surprise is something in the Witcher world. Uh, the law of surprise is a custom as old as humanity itself. The law dictates that a man saved by another is expected to offer to his savior a boon whose nature is unknown to one or both parties. In most cases, the boon takes the form of a saved man's firstborn child, conceived or born without the father's knowledge. There are two types of requests that occur during this um, law of surprise. When you save somebody and you're like, okay, this is the reward you're going to give me. Here's the, here's the first request. Uh, the first thing that comes to greet you. When requesting the first thing that comes to greet you, the price could be the likes of a dog, uh, a halberder at the gate, or a mother-in-law's impatient uh, to holler at her son-in-law when he returns home. So it could be anything. Like if the dog comes, then good. That's the reward for this guy. The, the second type of request is what you find at home yet don't expect. So when requesting what you find at home and don't expect, the price could be a lover in the wife's bed, but usually a child, either newborn or still within the womb. So in this case, uh. that is what happened. They're just um, handing kids out back in these days. Urchion had some at some point saved uh, the king, who is no longer with us. He's since passed, King Ro Rogner, and um, Rogner did did promise the second one, which was what you find at home but do not expect. And when he got home, when the king returned home, it turned out Queen Calanthe was preggers, and he's like, "Oh crap." But he's got to follow. Calanthe's pissed. She's pissed. So Geralt and Malsak have been communi communicating silently throughout the banquet, mostly through meaningful glances and the druid's magical arrangements of breadcrumbs. But both have There's noticed something that something is afoot. The Force seems to be slowly filling the room. Again, this is the Force that is Star Wars, so this takes place in the Star Wars universe like a long, oh, long time I mean. ago. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So Urchion. Yeah. Go ahead. What? 
Makes sense, I said. Yep. Like, you, we always bring up Star Wars at least once an episode. And... Is that what they do? Did they just put in Metachlorians into Geralt, and then now he's white-haired? Yeah, they just call it mutagens in this world. Mutagens. Very close. Okay, makes sense. All right, continue. So the Force seems to be slowly filling the room. Urchion also seems to emanate the Force for some reason. And, like, both the Druid and Geralt are, like, feeling it. And they're, like, kind of, like... Yeah, it's getting a little stuffy in here with some, like, energy. Okay, we're back, guys. Small delay. Don had to take an important call. Um, But where we left off was the force was growing in the room. It was emanating. And it seemed to also be emanating off of Urchion himself. So although Queen Calanthe admits that what he's saying is true, the fact that he, like, is rightfully owed her daughter... She does not have any intention on giving her daughter away to a stranger, and there is a general uproar among the guests. And the uproar is about, like, well, if you're not going to be good for your word, then what is this kingdom? Why are we all in, in cahoots with each other? Blah, 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 that kind of shit. Um, a clock strikes midnight, and the queen realizes that she has another trick up her sleeve. So the trick up her sleeve was she had called, like, an errand boy to her side and was like, Hey, go to the go to the bell tower and, and ring midnight so that I can get this guy to take his helmet off, you know? So then she insists that now that it's midnight, upon the knight's request, Urchia must remove his helm. So when he does, everyone sees not the head of or ah. in face of a man, but some hedgehog like creature covered in I spines. Never put that together. It's covered in spines with a muzzle wow. full of fangs. So when she, I don't know if you remember that part. Yeah, but, no, I remember the part where she says, you don't know what she says, but she's like, pss, 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 yeah, pss, yeah, yeah. Pss, 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 pss. And then the guy runs off. I just totally ignored it. And I what, totally knew that the bell rang early. I knew that. Yeah. I know that. But I'd never put that together that she planned that. Yeah, she is a lot more cunning than she leads on. Yeah. Yeah, that is. Okay. All right. Bold so, yeah, move, Calanthe. Bold yeah. move. And bold you know what? Urchion's oh, like, God. fuck it. If the clock strikes 12, I'm going to show my muzzle. So he does. And the queen triumphantly announces that for the law of surprise to be invoked, Pavetta herself must agree, assuming that naturally the princess would not willingly choose to go off with some monster. Look at him. Pavetta, th- this is the guy who owns you, but it is your choice. Do you want to go with this hedgehog? She goes, I do. And then she's like, over my dead body. Pretty much. When the queen asks the princess Pavetta if she chooses to leave with the knight, Calanthe is astounded when the princess answers yes. The queen collapsed onto her chair and a fight breaks out, with the guards and knights attacking Urchion. Several guests try to charge Urchion, pushing him backwards until he is pinned by two guards. A force, the force, that Geralt and the druid Mausak had already felt for some time explodes from Princess Pavetta as she sees her lover being attacked. As the guests fight, the princess's power grows and becomes a very and becomes very dangerous to everyone. Furniture is flying in all directions. Individuals are being thrown about. It's pandemonium. I like when they're talking about the tables hitting the ceiling. That yep. was that was one of my parts in the book. I agree with that. Like Pavetta is on her chair, and once she starts seeing people attack her boyfriend, which now we know is her boyfriend because of the summary, but in the story, you're not really sure what the f is going on. It's the so first time. Pavetta. It's like a Sega Genesis player or what? Oh, yeah, she got to go fast. Yeah, she got to go fast. She got to get those rings. 
Do you okay. save the yeah, creatures yeah, yeah. at the end of the level or do you kill them? You know what I mean? I don't um, know. And so she's on her chair and she kind of just goes into this force rage and her chair floats up into the air. Her hair's going all over the place. Tables are flying, like you said. Um, It's crazy. And I'm like, it's really cool. It's really cool. But like name any superhero show ever. That does. Simpsons probably did it at this point. Yeah. And one. We get it. We get it. Yeah. The power is so great. No one can stop it. Yeah, we get it. So Geralt steps up to defend Urchion, and as does Iced, one of the um, the the guys from Skellige. Uh, but Pavetta is out of control. Both the Witcher and the Druid focus all their energy on Pavetta, trying to isolate her, but her power is too strong. Suddenly, Kakudek lets loose what seems to be like a, his entire repertoire of animal noises. This proves sufficient to distract the princess and allow Geralt and Mausek to get her back to her senses. So thank you, Kakudak, for knowing all your animal noises and blasting it out. Who would have thought that, like, oh, yeah, this bitch is a fucking time grenade going off. And then this dude's like, ooh, Yeah, and then, like, she's like, huh? He's like, oh, I guess that worked. Snapped her out of it. Uh, and this hey, was a, mom, not a, it's not a waste to learn how to do all the animal noises, mom. Thanks, mom. Yeah. So I like porcupines, mom. What's it to you? Um, but this was a scene where I was like, what do you do as Geralt? Yeah, you're a witcher and you got a druid buddy. But once they try to like isolate her and it doesn't work, it's like, OK, I guess you just got to let the castle go to crap. Like, get out. I don't know. But. Stop attacking your boyfriend for one, maybe. I don't know. Well, the, maybe a good yeah, start. The, the knights are all, you know, they're uppity because they all want the girl. They're, she comes out and everyone's like, oh, you know what I mean? Yeah, and then some hedgehog gets it. Yeah, some hedgehog gets it. And they're like, not this monster, you know. What, what is that meme? The Russian kid? It's, like, it's, it's the I got to go fast meme, but it's also something like I outrun the light or some shit. I'll link it to you after this. Well, yeah, we'll check it out. Um, so when the ruckus has calmed down, Urchion or Dooney, that's that's uh, Pavetta's pet name for Urchion, is Dooney. Uh, and Pavetta explained the situation. They have been seeing each other for over one year now. And it's really cute because they're like, Pavetta, is it true you've been seeing him? And she holds up one finger, not looking at her. Like, yeah, it's been a year. <laughs> uh, and they have fallen in love. Oh, yeah, of course. And more than that. And much, much more. And the, and the situation is that Dooney, like, at certain times of the month or before a full moon or whatever, he's a hedgehog or maybe it's, like, at night or something like that. And at midnight, he turns back into human. So, like, right now, Dooney is a dude. Um, right. So, having calmed down, Queen Calanthe agrees with their love. And this is a really cool scene in that... Um, you get to see Calanthe be actually cool mom. You know, it's like, all right, you love each other. I know how that is. And uh, so she uh, agrees with their love and their forthcoming marriage. Iced Tursich, uh, who came that night to chaperone the younger suitors for the hand of Princess Pavetta, ends up proposing to the Queen Calanthe. When he shows up and introduces it and gets introduced to the court, Calanthe in the book actually blushes and you get this idea that they keep looking at each other like, oh, they're kind of like a thing. And it's okay because, like, King's been dead for a long time. So it's like, 
you would assume right. she would be yeah. with somebody. And so he comes up and Iced is the one who also went with the Witcher to help defend Urchion. So it's like he's a good guy. And so then now that all this crazy stuff has happened, the cat's out of the bag. They love each other. They've, they're going to get married. Urchion or not Urchion, Ice comes up and it's like, you know what? I'm going to propose to you. Things like this, it shows us what we really need to care about, and that's love. And she says yes. So Calanthe's going to get married. It's awesome. So she's going to get what she wants, which is the, uh, which is a, a union between uh, a kingdom that is reputable and all that kind of stuff, which is great. And um, Iced, uh, who came out, Oh yeah. Anyway, so he he proposed to they the queen. They did a They did a very good job of showing that in the Netflix series. They made oh, him they? look at first kind of like a doofus. Yeah. At first, and then uh, very very smart, fun loving, easygoing kind of guy. And so it, they they nailed it. They nailed it in the show. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's a very nice scene. So thanking for thanking Geralt for saving his life earlier. Dooney offers him whatever he asked for. So in the same way that he he saved the king, now Dooney really feels obliged to do the same for Geralt. Was saying, ask anything, dude. I got money, I got whatever, whatever you want. Geralt asks for that which you already have, but do not know. Whoa, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. hold on, hold on. Yeah? Before, we get, before we get to that, wasn't there a second attempt when the queen tries to kill uh, Urchin? Urchion, whatever the hell they're calling him. Mm, I, like that, Chuck. I don't, I don't remember that. They, they're because oh, that's what they do in the show. So what happens in the show? In the show? What 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 happens? Basically, basically, as her, maybe that is what sets it off. Basically, she's like, oh, all right, Pavetta's like, yes, I'll take his hand. And then she's like, okay, then it must be. And then she whips out a knife and tries to stab. Oh, right, that that does happen in the book. Okay, okay, okay. She she collapses into her chair and then she like I think she grabs a knife or something like she she doesn't want her daughter to be taken away by him. She's playing yeah. basically she's mama bear. Calanthe's cool, well, but she mama bear and she's a single mother and she don't need no man to come up in this yeah. in this castle <laughs> yeah. and take her only daughter away. She's probably like 15 to top it off, but whatever. And I know we're going over it fast, but like in the book, they do a really good job of her describing her side. She's like, I know the king made his word. Uh, he's dead now. And I promised him from his dying yeah. breath that yeah, I was yeah, going to yeah. do this. But this is my daughter. This is different now. I'm running the shit here. And it's like she's got good points, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's cool. So now we're at the, the cool down phase and – and everyone's in the room and it's like, it, it's just a scene of like, everyone's happy and stuff. And queen's going to get married. The girl's going to get married. Dooney's like saying, girl, what do you want? And girl, girl thinks for a minute and goes, I'm going to ask that, which you already have, but do not know breaking the news to everyone, including Dooney and Pavetta that the princess is pregnant. Geralt was able to sense this somehow. And so was, um, Malsek. So he asks that their child be raised as a witcher because witchers are only born under the special sign or destiny, the winds of destiny. Uh-huh. Yep. And this is yep. when I, when I got to this part of the book, I paused it on audible and called your ass and was like, holy shit, holy shit. So, 
this is where I agree with you. This story is very good in the book form. Netflix, however, ruins it because Netflix basically Geralt goes, um, I guess just I'll take the law surprise. And then all of a sudden like Pavelia throws up or whatever. And then they're like, Oh my God, she's pregnant. And nobody knew. So Geralt does it as like, uh, I guess, ha ha ha. And then like, Oh no, destiny can't get away from it. Um, whereas in the book, Geralt's the, like one of the first to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. He figured. So that's like, and that's where it's like, I almost like that better. Because he's like, I need to do this because it makes sense. And in the way that I that I have this summary here, it it seems almost like including Dooney and Pavetta, like they. I actually think Pavetta knew she was preggers. Probably. Or at least she was get guessing it. And the reason why I think that is because in the beginning of the chapter, they're like, "What's taking Pavetta so long?" Uh, and then the queen says something like, "Oh, she's." She's up looking in the mirror all day, hanging out in the bathroom or whatever. And what's probably really happening, she's probably throwing up, like morning sickness or not, yep. you know, not feeling well. You know what I mean? And I think that's what it's referencing there. So I think she kind of knows in her heart, but is like kind of surprised by this too. But then when they all look at her and she's like, yep, I'm pregnant. And it's like, holy shit. So now this is someone who's going to be born under the wind of destiny and Geralt asked for it because there are no more witchers being made because we just learned that, you know, um, his old fort is now. But he's going to have to put her through the same stuff he went through that he was saying was terrible. But she's going to be a super sane witcher because it's Geralt. Yeah, well, of course. You know of I mean? course she is. Of course. So but I'm just saying. I was like, this is good. This is this really is freaking good. I, uh, you're not wrong. It's the second best story in the book. You're not wrong. It's very good. Yeah. What do but you guys think? Uh, so that's gonna that's gonna do it for chapter four. Um, what's it called? Uh, a question of price. And what is the price? You know what I mean? You know, what do you guys how think? Much does it cost? <laughs> how, how much does it cost? How much does a baby cost? You know what I mean? Just a question. Or, I mean, just saving some guy's life, I guess. But it's a half Sonic, half Witcher baby. So I mean. And as Probably. you know, when you go faster than light, all you see is darkness. So um, thanks, Don, for joining me for this one. It was really fun. You're welcome. Thanks and for having me. I really do like this format, this quicker format. We get to talk about stuff, and I get to go back and go my deep dives and all that. And So uh, looking forward to next week's episode, Chapter 5 already. we got two chapters left, and... Um, yeah, I guess we'll catch you guys on the next one. Thanks for listening to Random Book Club Podcast.